welcome back to From Eight Arbitration. And I told y'all last week I was going to have a special guest. And I'm talking about extra special. <laughs> I'm sitting here looking at my special guest right now. He's in studio as we speak. Uh, the studio kind of overwhelmed him when he got in here. He didn't know that uh, I had put this much money into it. But, uh, hey, I don't do anything second class. So he, he's here in the studio. He's still walking around looking at it. Uh, just amazed at it, but uh, I'm going to get to him in just a second, tell you all who it is. JB will come in sometime this week, uh, this next week, maybe Monday or Tuesday. Like I said, I got to go out of town Sunday. I will not be here, uh, so he will not be able to come do one Sunday. But I've had a lot of people reach out about Dois, about Pet, about 3996s. He's going to cover all of that. Every bit of that's going to be covered uh, on this next episode with him. I know that we're dealing with a lot of things. I think that management is way ahead of us right now as far as these scanners are concerned. Uh, the things that they're doing, the red line policies, the hour office time, I see that all over the place that management is using this. you got to get out in an hour. Uh, he's going to talk about that. I think that all of these things have to do with the, the new scanner. Route inspections are going through the scanners. So everything is, is happening with these scanners. JB's going to cover a lot of that stuff. But to me, uh, I think we've kind of dropped the ball so far as far as uh, getting ahead of that. Uh, management is already implementing a lot of things that I think are directly related to that. So JB's going to cover that next week. So make sure that y'all tell everybody to listen to that episode. I had a person reach out about votes uh, shop steward votes and things of that nature. They don't trust the process. What can they do about it uh, when, a, when a shop steward is voted on? Um, in my branch, what we do is we make sure that whoever is running for the steward is present during the count. Uh, that's, that's the way that we handle that. Now, my special guest will tell you how they handle that. So, uh, but to me, how we do it here in this branch is if two people are running for shop steward, uh, those two, two people are available to be there when the count is done. And that way, that's on the up and up. That's, that's what I would recommend. Uh, but my special guest, when I get to him, he can tell you how they handle that. His, his is, uh, he, he's got a better idea. But uh, so that's how I do that. Another thing that was brought up to me was about CCA's case and mail on Sunday. Is that a grievance? That's a tricky one. That's a tricky one. And uh, I'll, get, uh, I'll get an episode soon. Maybe it'll be the next one I do will be on that. Uh, there are ways that you can, you can tame management from that. Uh, I know that in my, in my station, management would have uh, people come in and case on our routes all the time. And my carriers obviously would just be pissed off about that. So what we did was, and this is on the up and up, but when my carriers went to the street, they would they would finger each piece of mail, each piece. And uh, management told us to quit doing that. And we want a grievance on that, that I have the right to finger each piece of mail, riding or walking, and to verify that piece of mail goes to that address. Uh, that's one way that we... <laughs> We uh, got management uh, to quit doing that because some of my carriers, and this is in the grievance, so you, if you don't believe me, it'll be in the grievance, but some of my carriers are spending four minutes 
per stop. Now try to do that. Four minutes per stop, that's unbelievable. <laughs> but uh, that's one way to tame management. Uh, but I'll get into that. I'll, I'll try to do an episode on that for you. And that way, uh, it'll help those of you who's, who's, if management's bringing in CCAs on Sunday to case your routes, we'll put a little something together where we'll try to combat that, okay? Let's get to my special guest. When I first started this podcast, uh, this gentleman reached out to me, and he uh, thanked me for the podcast. He's been my biggest supporter as far as uh, upper echelon of the union, I'd call it. But he's been my biggest supporter of this thing in more ways than one. Uh, He promotes it in his uh, region. But there was one thing that just stuck in his craw, and it was my 16-7 episode. And so we we went back and forth a little bit, and I said, hey, put your money where your mouth is and come down here and do one. Well, hell if he didn't. And he's sitting right here. But uh, it's National Business Agent Mike Kariff uh, from Region 3. And I could not be more honored and humbled to have this man sitting in here to do an episode, truly. Uh, I consider him, now I've done my homework on him, but I would consider him to be an expert at 16.7. A lot of people have talked to me about him and his 16.7 views. And so uh, he's going to be a worthy adversary for me. But I am completely honored to have him in in my studio to do this podcast. Uh, I would consider him, you know, when he talks, to not be ultra cryptarian uh i think that he's gonna be (laughs) i think that he's gonna be uh he's gonna be uh he's gonna be showing his knowledge and how he's an expert on this certain topic so he he will not be ultra cryptarian when he's talking and uh he can tell you about that later but uh i am truly honored to have mike carafin here to talk to y'all uh, and educate you on 16.7. I think that removal by far is obviously the most punitive thing that can happen to a letter carrier. 16.7 a second. Because it takes my money away from me. It takes me out of my livelihood. And uh, so, it, and it's an indefinite amount of time. It can be two days, two months. Uh, you know, it's an indefinite amount of time. We don't know how long it's going to be. So it's devastating to a letter carrier uh, when our brothers and sisters are put on emergency placement, it, it devastates them because they're without money. So to have him in here to talk to y'all about this, to help in any way possible, get our people back in uh, a pay status, uh, it, it's critical to me. And I could not be more thankful that he's here. Uh, I'm going to quit talking. I've already talked 10 minutes about nothing. But So pay close attention. Get your notepads out. Uh, I'm going to try to have him on again. It's just he don't have to drive down from Chicago to do it. Uh, I, I'm going to get it to where we can we can talk back and forth when he's up there. But without further ado, Mike Kariff from uh, Region 3, the national business agent. Hey, I love you, brother. I've had a blast talking with you before this episode started. And uh, I truly appreciate you, and I truly appreciate your support for this podcast uh, I will never tell people uh, how you support me, but I truly appreciate it. And so have at it, my man. Enjoy yourself and educate our brothers and sisters. Thank you. All right, Corey, thank you, man. That was one hell of an introduction. Um, 
I don't know what word he used there or what it means. I think he might have lost a bet at the Derby today. And uh, apparently he was forced to use this word in, in his introduction. I don't even know what it means. I don't think he does either. But, uh, man, I am a big fan of this podcast. I think that uh, Corey's experience and his passion to help out uh, the members of our union, fellow letter carriers, is just uh, unrivaled. And the fact that he's taking uh, this amount of time week after week after week to put out these podcasts and help uh, you know people out in any way that he can is, is just great, 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 great. Um, so like he said, as soon as I found out about it, I've, I've been listening. I've heard, I think it's 50 episodes now. I've heard every single one of them. And, um, <clears throat> you know, within the, within my region, which is Illinois, if we have any training or the stewards get together or whatever, I'm saying, Hey, <laughs> while you're out on the route or whatever, you know, put this, put this podcast on, it's got a lot of good information for you. Uh, and we've learned a lot, you know, me personally, I've, I've learned things and, you know, you think you kind of know everything, but but it's, um, you know, you, you can constantly learn things and that's, that's kind of what it's all about getting better and learning different things that's going to help out our brothers and sisters. So I just wanted to alert you guys. If you're, if you haven't heard all the podcasts, the ones I like, you know, the first ones that, that really caught my attention, episode 19, awesome episode about uh 16, eight reviewing concurrence where Corey, you know, focuses in on the supervisor, the supervisor, making sure that the supervisor is the one issuing discipline and then the higher level official is um, concurring, you know, reviewing an independent uh, substantive review and concurrence. I don't think Corey knows how to pronounce substantive if I, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I forget how he says it, but or maybe I'm saying it wrong. Who knows? But uh, I love that episode. It was actually the first introduction to the EL921. All the years I've been doing this, never knew that that manual existed. I remember hearing it the first time, and I called up one of the guys. I said, man, you ever heard of the damn EL921? Like, no. <laughs> we looked it up, and sure enough, it says right in there that when the supervisor issues discipline, they have to meet every single test of just cause. And if there's, you know, if they don't meet one of the tests, that the discipline's got to be set aside. And that's great language because that language is not in the JCAM. The, the tests of just cause are in the JCAM, but that language is not. So um, just anyway, learned a lot there. Article 35 episode, which was episode 12, uh, had me crying. You know, the whole admit that you're an addict, admit that you have a problem. Uh, get get your brother or your sister to admit that they have a drug or alcohol or mental problem or whatever, um, and that they're seeking help. And that, that should be uh, looked upon favorably. This is a career job. And, you know, you, you, one of our brothers or sisters could stumble and keep their job. But the first step is to admit that they have a problem. And uh, his approach uh, by using Article 35 in the disciplinary matters, I thought was, I thought was great. It was really, really helpful to me. So episode 41 was the one that uh, JB did about uh, deems desirable. I did not know all that information was in Erms that he educated us about. So that was very helpful. Uh, go back and listen to that episode. Now I'm going to say one thing about JB. I found out I'm speaking, speaking directly into the mic here. Mr. JB is in the leadership uh, class number 25. And that's the class they started uh, leadership Academy. They started in, in 2020 and it continued into 2022 because of the pandemic and, you know, cut off. But anyway, they've they've restarted and the Leadership Academy, they have these projects. So I'm challenging you, JB, to help out Brother Corey Walton with his request. He wants people to be able to come on the podcast and not have to come to this palatial studio here in, in Nashville, 
but be able to be in another location and uh, utilize equipment through the internet where they can still get on the podcast and, and talk. So uh, I know you guys do projects in the Leadership Academy. I know that uh, Region 3 has two people, Patrice O'Banner and Jim Moulton, are both in the, uh, in the Leadership Academy right now, and there's other people in the Leadership Academy. So I say you guys get together and, and help out uh, making one of your projects, helping out uh, to make sure that the podcast can, you know, the people can come on the podcast from other parts of the country. And, uh, you know, that's the least you can do for Corey. He, he lets you come on. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if you're helping him or he's helping you. But anyway, brother, uh, I challenge you to figure out how to do that. I think you guys are, uh, you know, you're learning things in the Leadership Academy, and that's one of the things. So anyway, the episode 15, what Corey referred to, is the episode that Corey did on emergency placement. And I took this quote out of there, and the quote is, that emergency placement, this is, this is Corey talking in, in episode 15, emergency placement is the lowest quantum of proof in article 16. It just has to be an allegation. And when I heard that, I think I threw something at the, at the car radio because <laughs> that, that will kind of set me off. Uh, the, the word allegation is in emergency placement, but it is, um, it's taken out of context. It's, it says where the allegation involves, and then it goes on to list the, the different charges. Where the allegation involves is the same thing as saying uh, where the charge involves or, you know, what, what you're being accused of. It's, it's no different than any other disciplinary action where there's an accusation and there's a notice of the charges and there's an allegation, you know, against the carrier and then during, you know, through the grievance process, you either manage me to proves the allegation or, or they don't. But everything, every discipline starts with an allegation. But uh, 16.7 is, is no different in that in that sense. Just because the word allegation is in the language in 16.7 doesn't mean that an allegation is sufficient to support emergency placement. All right, let's let's start by reading the language. Well, the language in Article 16.7 is that an employee may be immediately placed on an off-duty status without pay by the employer. And that's the scary part. You, you read that first line and you're like, oh man, what the hell is this? Uh, but remain on the rolls where the allegation involves intoxication, use of drugs or alcohol, pilferage, which is stealing, or failure to observe of safety rules and regulations, or in cases where retaining the employee on duty may result in damage to U.S. Postal Service property, loss of mail of funds, or where the employee may be injurious to self or others. The employee shall remain on the rolls until disposition of the case has been had. I personally, I started as a letter carrier in 1994, Ravenswood Station in Chicago, and uh, <laughs> I remember being placed on emergency placement. I went back and looked in my EOPF because a lot of my old discipline is still in there, which I could make them take it out, but you know, I keep it there for posterity or whatever. Um, but I went back and looked. I couldn't find any any issuances of, of emergency placement. But I do recall being placed on emergency placement on, uh, on multiple times. And it really threw me. And this was probably prior to me even becoming a union steward or, you know, I used to go to me meetings and stuff and I was kind of aware. But I was probably not, not educated about Article 16. Uh, but I was concerned because the, the manager would get mad at me. Uh, over something that I said or whatever and, and put me out of emergency placement, immediate suspension and my pay would be docked. And I said, wow, is this, is this a job 
where you can be suspended without pay immediately and there's there's no recourse and that's and that's somehow okay or you know kosher justified under under the terms of our contract and, and that scared me uh, so you go back and you read the language and you say wow um, I hope this is you know this is this is not that job let me let me read some more let me try to understand this better and as I you know understood it better I found that that that's not the case but that's the question you should start with is is the employer allowed to simply place the employee the letter carrier off the clock in a non-pay status um, because there's an allegation or because they're investigating something or or anything or is there some other type of uh, standard that, that must be met so just keep that question in your mind as we go through this episode and I will tell you this my president at the time I, I got placed one time on emergency placement and I remember getting home and there was already a letter telling me to return back to work right away from, from the post office. And I think I was off for, I don't know, less than a day or maybe a day or something like that. I returned back to work and it, it, she was just doing it, you know, to be punitive or, or to get me off the workroom floor or whatever. And she did it a couple more times. I remember calling the president and he said, look, man, uh, this is a situation where you might be feeling some stress. You might need to get out of town, you know, head up to the Dells, take a load off for a couple of days. I said, but, you know, if I if I leave, you know, then I'm not going to get the notice that they're giving me to return back to work. And he said, Ex exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and uh, he said, I'll give them a call in a couple of days and ask them what your status is. And if they want you to return to work, then then I'll let them know that you're out of town and that, you know, you'll be back in a couple of days. So we learned to kind of make them pay for placing me in off-duty status, and that seemed to work, and it kind of subsided. But anyway, I had a lot of interaction with, you know, dealt with it personally. And then, of course, uh, when I became a steward and, you know, later the vice president of the branch and Branch 11 in Chicago, and then later the national business agent have dealt with tons and tons of emergency placement uh, issues. Uh, the first thing you want to look at is uh, the Mittenthal Award, C number 10146 A and B. That is the national award that sets the standard of what, you know, Mittenthal, National Arbitrator Mittenthal interpreted the contract language that I just read to you in Article 16.7 and then tells the parties what his interpretation is. And then his interpretation becomes the law. And this case came out in 1990. So what I really want you guys to do, and I know a lot of you listen to the podcast when you're out on the route and such, just just stop, just just hit the pause button or hit stop and, and go read it. You know, go read it from front to back. It's uh, it's very well written. It's not uh, it's not written in Latin or you know anything that you're not going to be able to understand. You're going to be able to understand it very clearly. Um, it starts with a background and explains what the issue is, and then it tells you what the contract language at the time was, and then it goes into the three different issues and and talks about each one, and then that's it. You know, then uh, from there, you know, his word uh, on on the subject is is the law of the land. So. Um, the, the language in the JCAM, it does quote from uh, Mittenthal's award, but it's, it's not, um, it's not going to give you the full view. So what you want to do is stop what you're doing, stop this podcast, go read it. Uh, and then the second time when I want you to read this thing, you know, like I said, it's a good read. But the second time when I want you to read the Mittenthal award is the first time you have to deal with an emergency placement situation. Tell the supervisor that you're going to need some steward time to investigate this grievance 
And the first thing you're going to do in investigating the grievance, if you have a carrier that's placed on emergency placement, is go back and read the Bittenthal Award and make them pay you for it while you're on the clock. Very, very uh, high, strong recommendation to the stewards out there that they make the post office pay you to investigate and process grievances on the clock, not, not, uh, not off the clock. So, all right, <laughs> now that everyone... Now that everyone's read the thing recently, you know, if you haven't read it in a while, go back and read it again. <laughs> um, but anyway, I want to I want to kind of go through it a little bit so we have a, a clear understanding of, of what it was or what he said. So right away in the background, you have the issue that that is framed. And, and Mittenthal says the unions believe the unions believe was APWU and the NELC. They were both involved, and then the Postal Service was on the other side. So the two unions were arguing one, you know, one side and the Postal Service on the other. The unions believe that an employee placed on a non-duty, non-pay status pursuant to 16-7 has been disciplined. That's one. Has been disciplined. Two, that such discipline, if challenged, can be affirmed only through a management showing of just cause. That's two. That an employee cannot be suspended under 16.7 without first having been provided written notice of the charge made against him. That's number three. And that an employee suspended in this manner must be paid for his lost time until he actually receives such written notice. In other words, that you would be on an admin leave status or something like that. Uh, pending the notice. The Postal Service disagrees with each of these propositions. So he lays it out. He says, here's what the, the fight is all about, okay? Now, what's very telling in the beginning of, of this arbitration award is the arbitrators decides, he says, because this section, 16.7, is part of Article 16, the disciplinary procedure, let's, let's start there and let's go over all of Article 16. So that, that's very telling as far as how he's going to look at this. And it, it should be telling to you on what type of approach you should take toward uh, Article 16.7. Anyway, I'll get, I'll get more into that later as far as how you frame the issue. Because I always frame the issue, did management violate Article 16 when they placed the carrier in an, in an off-duty, non-pay status? Uh, and I'll you know get into that a little bit more of the reasons why. So um, the first part of article 16 at the time 16.1 principles of of uh, article 16 is that no employee may be disciplined or discharged except for just cause and then 16.2 which which Mittenthal is going to hit on later he says that under 16.2 it says such discussions are not considered discipline and are not grievable and he talks about later on Mittenthal will talk about how 16.2 is the only time in article 16 that says it's not discipline. 16.2, a job discussion takes place in private between the employer and the and the letter carrier. And it specifically says in the contract that such discussions are not considered discipline. And Mintha thought, thought that was very key. That if the parties put Article 16.7 in Article 16 and they didn't think it was discipline, that they would say so like they did in Article 16.2 where, where it says that it is not considered a discipline. So he goes through 16. Now, here's where the language was a little bit different as, as Mittenthal goes through 16.4 and 16.5. And 16.4 is a, a suspension 
of 14 days or less, and 16.5 is suspensions of more than 14 days or discharge. Uh, at the time, and this was 1990, we didn't have paper suspensions. And what it said was that for suspensions of 14 days or less, there was a 10-day deferment period. Uh, will be suspended after 10 calendar days. That was for 16.4 suspensions of 14 days or less. 16.5 suspensions had a 30-day deferment period. I went back and looked at, at some of that previous discipline I was telling you guys about. And sure enough, I found a suspension. It was dated October the 26th of 1995. And it said, I quote, you are hereby notified that you will be suspended for a period of 14 and then in parentheses, it says seven <laughs> post. I was been messed up forever calendar days beginning on November 13th, 1995 at 630. You are to return to work on November 20th, 1995 at 630. So apparently it was a seven day suspension, but although it's issued on 1026, 1995 is deferred. It doesn't get enacted right away. It's deferred until uh, November 13th of, of 1995. And it, it's very important that you understand the deferment period because in its essence, Article 16.7 is a suspension without a deferment period. The whole immediate and everything that, it, that is um, the emergency and, and all that, all those words that are used in conjunction with Article 16.7 really are all about the fact that a suspension pursuant to Section 7 of Article 16 does not come with a deferment period, whereas the other suspensions pursuant to 16.4 and 16.5 do come with a deferment period um, that was laid out at that time. Of course, now we have paper suspensions, so they're you know deferred indefinitely, I guess you could say, uh, except for you know removals still come with the same same deferment period. Uh, but that's important to understand that EP in its essence is a disciplinary action without a deferment period. All right, you get back to the Mittenthal Award and you're talking about after he goes through the contract, he's uh, the art provisions of Article 16, he gets into uh, discussions and findings. So now I'm going through uh, page four. He's still quoting the contract. He spends like three pages quoting, quoting the contract. He thought it was that important to take a look at the other provisions in Article 16 in addition to 16.7. All right, discussions and findings. Now you're on to page six. He uh, goes over what the three distinct issues are. And, and remember, the post office disagreed with the union's formulation on all three. Uh, the first one is whether or not the, the action is considered a discipline or it's a, an administrative action. The second issue is the level of proof necessary? Is it a just cause or is it reasonable cause or some lower standard of, of uh, proof? The third is the existence of a notice requirement, namely whether an employee can properly be placed on a 16-7 without first being provided with written notice. First, so in other words, an advanced written notice of the charges ahead of time. Uh, so those, were the, those are the three issues. Here's where I would say this. This is... This is um, this kind of shocked me when I went back and read the Mittenthal Award because I've seen a lot of our brothers and sisters put off the clock uh, based on an allegation or pending further investigation. And when you read the Mittenthal Award, uh, it went in our favor. 
You know, we didn't lose this thing. We won this thing. We won 2.5 out of the three issues. We won the first two outright. Uh, and then the third one, it was a kind of a split decision. And, and I'll go through all three of them right now so you'll have an idea. But we won two out of five out, out of the three. Um, the nature of management's action. The unions assert that an employee based on uh, placed on non-duty, non-pay status pursuant to Article 16.7 has been disciplined. The Postal Service insists that this action is essentially investigatory or administrative in nature and cannot properly be viewed as discipline. It can't be both. Now pay attention here. So the 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 sixteen seven the Mittenthal Award creates the standard for what the law is, and the parties are bringing to arbitrator Mittenthal an issue, and they're saying, "Look, we think that this is discipline." This is the union's talking, and then the postal service says, "No, no, we think it's investigatory in nature, and we think that it's an it's an administrative action," and Mittenthal ruled on that. Uh, and the ruling went in our favor. Mittenthal, uh, throughout the, the first section of, of this award, he mocks the Postal Service. He says, uh, for example, given the structure of Article 16, the strong presumption must be that all of Article 16 relates to discipline. Section 2 expressly provides that it is not considered uh, discipline. No such disclaimer is found in section seven. Then he says the impact on the employee when they're placed off the clock in a non-pay, non-duty status is much the same in all three situations. And the three that he's talking about is 16.7 and 16.4 and 16.5. So suspensions of 14 days or less, suspensions of more than 14 days in discharge and emergency suspensions. He says the impact on the employee is much the same in all three situations. The employee is taken off the off the job against his will. And I guess there was, well, there were definitely female letter carriers in 1990, but uh, arbitrator does not use the, the him, her, or he just presumes that they're all male. But um, anyway, in the arbitrator's words, the employee is taken off the job against his will and placed on non-duty, non-pay status because of such misconduct. He is denied work and wages. He is punished. That is, he is suspended. That's Mittendahl's definition of, of 16.7. So that is, that is the conclusion that, that he draws on the first one. The conclusion that he, he comes to is when management places an employee on non-duty, and I'm quoting right from the award here, when management places an employee on non-duty, non-pay status because of misconduct covered by Section 7, the employee has been disciplined. So that's in favor of the union. The caveat, and it's a minor one, the caveat is if it's not misconduct, if the person didn't do anything wrong, the letter carrier forgot to take their medication and therefore they're unable to drive a vehicle because let's say they're, they're prone to epilepsy and they take their medication and then they can drive. But if they didn't take their medication, they can't drive. Uh, you don't want to, you're not necessarily punishing the, the letter carrier in this situation, but you're not going to allow them to work. That could be construed as an administrative action because it's not for misconduct. But 99 times out of 100, they're placing you off the clock uh, under these under 16.7. It is going to be because of misconduct. So we'll give them that caveat. But basically, uh, when you are placed uh, in a non-pay status, you are being uh, disciplined. Now, interestingly enough, <laughs> I, uh, I was in an arbitration hearing um, with the Postal Service. And Postal Service decided to do a brief. And the issue was emergency placement. 
uh, for a young woman in Deerfield, Illinois. And I get the brief and I open it up. And my, mind you, I closed orally. Uh, I don't know if you, you know, for those you to do arbitration, uh, if the union closes orally or one of the parties closed orally, then we have the right to respond to the Postal Service brief. But I opened this thing up and it was such garbage. I sent a message to the arbitrator. I said, I don't, I don't need to respond to this. We're, we're good. Uh, but anyway, the first line, the very first line, the Postal Service and the National Association of Letter Carriers have a fundamental disagreement regarding emergency placement. The Postal Service sees it as an administrative action and the NELC sees it as discipline. Really? <laughs> well, yeah, that's what happened prior to 1990. But when Mittenthal put out his award, he resolved the dispute. There, there's no way that the parties can look at it um, you know, differently or have a differing opinion because Mittenthal resolved that dispute. Uh, discipline of 16-7 actions are discipline. They are not administrative actions as long as a 16-7 action is taken uh, as a result of some misconduct by, by the letter carrier. It is, it is a disciplinary action. So that's, that's number one. Number two in Mittenthal's award is called the level of proof necessary. Now in this section two, level of proof necessary, the unions assert that any management action taken pursuant to the section seven emergency procedure must be supported by just cause. The postal service insists that reasonable cause or reasonable belief is all that need be shown. Now, here's where Mittenthal says, he talks about what comes out of 16.1. And he says, 16.1 says that uh, no employee may be disciplined or discharged except for just cause. There is no, um, you know, there's nobody that's not covered by that statement. 16.7 does not uh, modify that statement. It, it is part of, it, it follows the principles of any disciplinary action. And if you consider it to be disciplined, as he already decided, if it's a disciplinary action under Article 16, then the language in Article 16.1 applies. In other words, no employee may be disciplined or discharged except just cause. Now, just cause is about treating the employee fairly. Just cause is not whether or not somebody did something or, or they, you know, or they didn't do it. It is about in the process of disciplining them, did you treat them fairly? In other words, are you disciplining them for a rule that they're aware of? Are you disciplining for them for a rule that's reasonable? Or did you forewarn them that they would, that they would be uh, possibly suffer any consequences as a result of, of their, their actions so that they would, they would know not to do it anymore? Um, is the discipline, is it fair? Is it, is it, um, is it not too severe? Was the disciplinary action taken in as promptly as possible after the offense occurred? All of this, all of the tests of just cause are about making sure that the employee, the letter carrier in our case, is, is treated fairly. And when, when you go to, uh, to apply it, you will apply it in 16.7 the same way that you would apply it in any of the other uh, disciplinary actions that the Postal Service takes. Now, the caveat that the that that Mittenthal uh, he ruled in our favor. He says in, in section one that uh, it is discipline, and then he says in section two because it is discipline, it has to meet the just cause standard, not the reasonable cause or anything else. It has to meet the just cause standard, and then he says, but because EP is immediate, the supervisor, or well, this might be um, 
This might be me talking. <laughs> I took some notes here. Uh, because EP is immediate, the supervisor may not have been as thorough as they normally would be. Then this is a quotation from the Mittenthal Award. The level of proof required to justify this kind of immediate action may be something less than would be required had management suspended the employee under Section 4 or Section 5, where 10 or 30 days advance written notice of the suspension is given. So Mittenthal is giving them a bit of an out, but he's not giving them an out on just cause. I hope you guys understand that. So you still have to meet the just cause standard, meaning you have to treat the employee fairly. It's not, it's not just uh, based on an allegation. It's not them just being uh, reasonable about it. It's actually meeting the just cause standard. Within the just cause standard, there's quantums of proof that, that are used, um, either the preponderance of the evidence or clear and convincing evidence or beyond a reasonable doubt. Beyond a reasonable doubt is usually reserved for like criminal cases. But uh, within our grievance arbitration process, you're looking at preponderance of the evidence or clear and convincing evidence. And maybe you're not able, the supervisor, because you're acting immediately, you're not able to, uh, you know, really wow them with the evidence that you've come up with. Uh, but you still have to go through the test of just cause and you still have to prove the allegation that, you know, the person was guilty of the misconduct that you're accusing him of. So section two uh, goes to us as well uh, with that one caveat that the the quantum of proof, uh, which could be uh, maybe lower, maybe the preponderance of the evidence instead of clear and convincing evidence, although it's really not clear from the language in the Mittenthal Award that he's saying that. He's just saying that uh, each circumstance could be a little different. But level uh, section two, level of proof necessary, goes to the union, and it says that the uh, test of just cause, no employee may be disciplined or discharged except for just cause, is in effect. Uh, section one, it is discipline. Section two is that it's got to meet the just cause standard. And then you go into section three, which is the third issue in front of Mittenthal, and he's talking about the notice requirement. Um, is advanced written notice of the charges is it, is it applicable in situations where uh, Postal Service invokes Section 7 and, and has an immediate, you know, invokes the immediate procedure, the emergency procedure, I'm sorry. All right. The way Mittenthal frames the question, is the employee suspended pursuant to the emergency procedure entitled to the advance written notice contemplated by Section 4 or 5? I think the word contemplated is very important. Uh, because if you go back and look at the language in 16.4 and 16.5, you will see that the language in the contract says that the carrier shall be served with a written notice of the charges. That's in 16.4. Uh, and 16.5 says be entitled to advance written notice of the charges against him or her. That's the, that's the current contract language. Now we know what that looks like, right? Anyone that has read a disciplinary notice knows what a written what a written notice of the charges looks like. And what Mittenthal ruled here, he said, you know, is six, Section 7, did they contemplate the same type of notice in a Section 7 situation as was contemplated in a Section 4 or Section 5 uh, discipline? And he rules... That the language of Section 7, by necessary implication, means that no advance, advance written notice can be required 
in a true Section 7 situation. That's a quote from, from the award. Um, however, he does say the following. So he upholds, and this is why I say Section 3 is really split between the parties. No advance written notice will be required. However, uh, the employee suspended pursuant to Section 7 has a right to grieve his suspension. This is Mittenthal. He cannot effectively grieve unless he is formally made aware of the charge against him. Indeed, still Mittenthal, Section 7 speaks of the employee remaining suspended until disposition of the case has been had. That disposition could barely be possible without formal notice to the employee so that he has an opportunity to tell management his side of the story. Fundamental fairness requires no less. So what he's saying is there's no advance notice required, but there is a notice, a written notice of the charges, a formal written notice of the charges, as was contemplated in Section 4 or Section 5. It is required in Section uh, 7 as well. Very, very important to understand that. I've made the argument many times that how can, how can this emergency placement action be justified when if it was for a letter of warning, you would read it and you would, you would draw the conclusion that it's not justified. It doesn't uh, contain enough information for a, a letter of warning to be issued to this, this uh, letter carrier. How can an emergency placement suspension without pay be, be justified based on the exact same thing? And you guys have probably seen, if you have any experience whatsoever, what some of these notices look like that we get in emergency placement situations. They are not what was contemplated in Section 4 and Section 5, and they are not sufficient to support the suspension under Section 7 of, of Article 16. All right, that's all I have on the Mittenthal Award. Uh, once again, please read it for yourself if you haven't already. I want to go to an arbitration award that uh, Brother Andy Tuttle did. He was the advocate for the NELC. Andy is the state president of Kansas, um, also does arbitrations for us out of Region 5. He did an arbitration in St. Louis, Missouri recently. The date of the award is March the 9th of 2022. The arbitrator was Mr. Barry E. Simon. Uh, he comes from the Chicago area, the northern suburbs. And uh, Brother Tuttle did a great job. Actually, this was about the question of whether or not review and concurrence is required in an, in an Article 16.7 situation, and the arbitrator said that it is required. Um, what I want to talk to you guys about is looking at page 8 of the award. Looking at page 8 of this award, and this is going to be, oh man, do I know the C number? Now, we're going to have to find this or, or try to post this up on the website, but it is, uh, you should be able to search it if you're in the arbitration database with uh, Tuttle is the advocate for us and Barry Simon is the arbitrator. The grievance name is Letitia Slider. USPS number, the final eight numbers are 213-29268. I do not have the C number at this time, I'm sorry. All right, so in this award, Barry Simon is talking. Now, Barry Simon, just so you guys know, and I'm very familiar with him. He's from the Chicago area. I've been in front of him many times. Not known as a pro-union arbitrator. Just, you, you should, I can state that very factually. Um, however, 
he does consider himself to be an expert on Mittenthal. Uh, he claims, actually, that when Mittenthal died, that he passed on his library of works uh, to uh, Mr. Simon, and Simon claims that at his house he, he has that, that library. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, he does consider himself to be an expert on Mittenthal, including his seminal award on emergency placement, which we just went over. Here's what Simon says on page eight of, of this regional arbitration award. He says he's talking about the two-step process uh, coming out of, out of Mittenthal. And he says, he says, thus the first step of the emergency placement process occurs when a supervisor immediately after an incident or immediately upon learning of an incident involving one of the enumerated reasons of 16.7, Orally directs an employee to clock out and go home. Step one, orally place the carrier in an off-duty non-pay status. Step one, right? Going down a little bit, uh, about three lines further down. The second step of the process, as required by Arbitrator Mittenthal's award, is the serving upon the employee a notice where he is, and now we're in quotes here, where he is formally made aware of the charge against him, the reason why management has invoked six, uh, Section 7. And we're out of quotes now. He said, because he was quoting Mittenthal. Si Simon was quoting Mittenthal. It is, it is this written notice that makes the emergency placement official. If the notice is not given in a timely manner or at all, or does not provide sufficient information to make the employee aware of the reason for management's action, there has not been a proper invocation of 16.7. Now, management believes, and, and I think you'll see this almost every time, and, and sometimes we let them get away with this, unfortunately. Management believes in a three-step process. L listen, listen to how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to frame this. Management believes that the first step is to verbally place the employee in an off-duty, non-pay status. Then they insert a second step. And the second step is that they provide you written notice that they put you verbally off the clock the first, you know, in, in, in the first instance. And then there's a third step, which would, should be the second step, which is the official written notice of the charges, which usually comes uh, way later. I got some notices that I brought with me that I want to read to you. This is examples of some notices that we've seen from, from the Postal Service from three uh, cases that we eventually took to arbitration. But here's the notices. The first one um, says like this. This is a notice for a carrier named Erica Beck. And the notice says, uh, due to the pending investigation into accusation of misuse of postal Voyager cards. Now, from that, uh, and then later on in the notice, it says, you have been suspended without pay effective immediately until further notice. Now, imagine getting that type of notice. Do you know what uh, what she did? Does she know what, what she did? We went to the hearing and management tried to uh, tell the arbitrator, oh, she knows what she did. Well, well, no, she didn't. And as you guys know, when we come to work in the morning, uh, we, we make mistakes. You know, you, you came to work that day and, um, you know, you may not have tied your shoes properly. You may not have, uh, you know, done something properly that you're supposed to do per the M41 while you're on office time or later on in the day in street time. You may have, uh, you know, did a rolling stop sign when you're out there driving. Who knows? There's, there's, there's so many functions that we perform on a daily basis 
that uh, you're going you're gonna to do some things wrong and there's thousands of pages of, of the Elm and other manuals and, and you're not going to always abide by them. What's required in a notice, what we all know uh, is required in a notice, is for them to tell you specifically what you did. And it's never our responsibility in a disciplinary matter to come forth and, and try to figure out what it is that you think I did. You're supposed to tell me what I did uh, in, the, in the written notice of the charges. And you're also supposed to cite any rules that I violated, right? And you're supposed to have specificity about what the allegation is. Uh, and in every single notice of charges, think about it, outside of 16.7 that you've ever seen, it, all, it always tells you what the length of the suspension is or if they're contemplating discharge, right? It always says uh, the employee is going to be suspended, even if it's a paper suspension, which we have now, seven days, 14 days, uh, whatever it is. In this notice, there's no specificity whatsoever. Um, the, <laughs> the, the formal A rep for the union um, from Branch 4739, uh, the vice president did the, did the contentions. And she says, well, what did, what did she do wrong? It's, it's accusing her of misuse of the Postal Voyager card. Did, did she use uh, 93 octane instead of 87? Did she leave the card out so somebody could steal it, like in, like in plain sight in the front of the LLV or something? Did she take it home accidentally? Did she buy snacks with the card? Uh, if you're accusing her of fraud, uh, then when did that fraud take place? Did she use it, if she used it to fill up gas in her personal vehicle, uh, when and where did that take place? How is it possible for the grievant and or the union to respond to a notice like this that lacks uh, such uh, specificity? Mittenthal said fundamental fairness, which is the bedrock of just cause, right, requires that an employee have an opportunity to tell management his side of the story. And there's no way to tell a story with a disciplinary notice that's like this. Um, we, we don't, you know, we don't offer up. We, we tell our story as a response to what management is accusing us of. If there's a notice like this that is insufficient, then it should be automatically uh, a fatal flaw. It should be devoid, and you shouldn't be able to discipline a letter carrier based on a notice like that. And 16.7 is, is discipline. Arbitrator Morris was the arbitrator on this case. Arbitrator Morris was the arbitrator. This is an award dated uh, April the 29th of 2022. I was the advocate for the NELC. This is, um, I don't want it should be a D, but it's a C number. Uh, I'm sorry, the GATS number starts with a C. It should start with a D. But it is uh, 22020753. I don't have the C number on this thing either. I'm sorry. Uh, but we'll we'll post it up on the website so you guys will have them or you can search it based on who the advocate and who the um, arbitrator. The arbitrator's name is Zachary Morris. Um, he has a history of doing a lot of APWU cases, very familiar with some of the provisions of the contract that overlap, but not as familiar with uh, NELC cases. But anyway, here's what he says, and this is on page 12 of the award. I am in full agreement with the union that the notice is overly vague. The notice does not tell her the whens, the wheres, the hows to serve as a true notice sufficient to allow the employee to properly defend herself. She must be informed of specific instances of misuse. The notice provided to Ms. Beck is akin to receiving a traffic ticket in the mail that says you were speeding. 
When was I speeding? Where was I speeding? There may be a legitimate reason why I was speeding, but without being informed of the particular facts which led to the issuance of the ticket, how am I supposed to defend myself in court? This is the arbitrator talking about the notice in, in that case. Uh, second notice I want to go over. This was a carrier named Natasha Bullock. And um, this was in Buffalo Grove, Illinois. Uh, this was an uh, interesting notice. <laughs> so the notice says, uh, subject, notice of placement in a non-duty without pay status. Then it says, this is to inform you that in accordance with Article 16.7 of the National Agreement, you have been placed in a non-duty status without pay, effective January 28, 2021. This action is being taken because, okay? After because, there is... Uh, Five, one, two, three, four, five lines here because, and, and management could check a box. Is this action being taken because the allegation involves intoxication, use of drugs or alcohol? Or does the allegation involve pilferage? Does the allegation involve failure to observe safety rules and regulations? Or does the allegation involve retaining you on duty may result in damage to U.S. Postal Service property, loss of mail or funds, or ding, 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 this box has a little X next to it. You may be injurious to yourself or others. This is based on, and then below it says, this is based on information that I have received that indicates you may have displayed unacceptable conduct. This is the notice of charges, which is not really a notice of the charges because this is really what management utilizes in their second step of their process, which is not contractual and is not supported by Mittenthal. But their second step, when they're advising you uh, in writing that you've been placed verbally, that you know what they already did verbally, which is to place you in a non-pay, non-work status. We got a arbitration award on this. The arbitrator was John Obie, O-B-E-E, a -E, uh, fine arbitrator out of uh, Farmington, Michigan, outside the Detroit area. And there is a C number. You can look it up. C number 35341, page 14. The advocate for the NELC was Ronnie Morgan. Uh, that guy does a, does a great job. If you don't know Ronnie, you, uh, you, you will know Ronnie. I'll just, I'll just put it like that. <laughs> All right, page 14. There is, this is the arbitrator talking, arbitrator Obi. There is nothing in the January 29 letter that formally, formally is in quotes because formally is the word that Mittenthal used. Uh, there is nothing in the January 29 letter that formally makes the grievant aware of the charge against her. There is nothing in the January 29 letter that provides any specific reason as to why the service has invoked Article 16. Asserting that the grievant may have displayed unacceptable conduct does not tell the grievant and the union that she in fact did display unacceptable conduct, nor does it tell the grievant and the union what in fact was the unacceptable conduct, nor does it tell the grievant and the union what in fact was the unacceptable conduct that the grievant allegedly displayed. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck? <laughs> As arbitrator Mittenthal held, the failure to provide such reasonable, adequate notice of the charges against the grievant denies her a fundamental due process right under the collective bargaining agreement. That is, uh, that is great language. All right, third notice that I have here. This notice, um, this was another case that I did. This was from 2017. Subject, emergency placement. This is out of Des Plaines, Illinois. Emergency placement. Subject is emergency placement. And 
it says, this is to confirm what I verbally notified you of on December 20, 2017, due to your alleged unacceptable conduct slash threats, dash, violation of zero tolerance policy. Now, this one, I wanted to show you guys the arbitration award because it went in front of arbitrator Joanne Nixon uh, out of New Iberia, Louisiana. The advocate was me, Michael Kariff, and this has a C number, C number 33314. But I want, to, I want you to look at the award because what Nixon does is once Nixon understands, because you know I educated her, uh, once she understood that that uh, discipline under Section 7, under uh, when they invoke 16.7, it must meet the just cause standard. She goes through, uh, you'll see in the award, she goes through all of the tests of just cause in, in her award, uh, which, which is great. You know, that shows that she, she gets it. Um, now, one of the things that she does is she concludes that there's no way to show intent based on what the grievant did in this case. So I'm, I'm quoting from page 17 and she was talking about another situation and then she gets to this one, the instant one. And she says, comparatively, in the instant case, the grievance did not target a particular individual, nor did the words she used imply that Miss Watson would later harm any person or persons. If I remember the words correctly, she posted something on Facebook and it was something like, my chill is on life support when I'm in this job or something like that, um, which, which they took to be a threat against like specific people, which was like, a you know, how did you get that out of out of those words? But uh, anyway, the arbitrator says the grievance did not target a particular individual, nor did the words she used uh, imply that Miss Watson would later harm any person or persons. The posts were phrases commonly used by social media participants when speaking in general about things through which they suffer, bad relationships, long meetings, others with whom they must endure. Without additional evidence to show intent by the grievant, management has failed to prove that just cause existed to invoke emergency placement and thus was in violation of Article 16 of the national agreement when they suspended Ms. Watson without pay on December 19th of 2017. She framed this as an Article 16 issue, which is the same way that Mittenthal framed it. He talked about suspensions that are invoked under Section 7 of the disciplinary procedure. And uh, she did the same thing. She said it doesn't meet the test of just cause under Article 16. If you look at the JCAM, page 16.3, uh, it, one of the things that it says in there is that there must be proof that the behavior took place and that it was intentional. So if you apply that language in this circumstance, you wouldn't get there. But if you just started with the notice, the notice doesn't even tell you uh, what she said and who it was a threat to uh, or have any other, other details about it. So here's where I want to talk to you guys a little bit. And um, it's, it's a little bit outside of the normal thinking on emergency placement, but I think it's clear that there is no, um, there is, there is no second step in emergency placement. I think it's very clear that, and that, that's, that's uh, arbitrator Simon's interpretation of Bittenthal, and I don't really see how you can have any other interpretation. There's two steps. There's verbally placing the, the carrier on an off-duty non-pay status. And then there's a second step, which is you provide them with a written notice of the charges that allow a formal written notice of the charges that allows them to defend themselves. Now, 
what must be included in that uh, written notice of the charges. I think that we all would agree that the written notice of the charges should should say with specificity what the carrier did. The, the notice of charges should indicate what rules or regulations have been violated. The notice should include, um, you know, any like any other disciplinary notice, your, your grievance rights, uh, things like that. It should say um, if you've been forewarned uh, of consequences uh, or any prior disciplinary action, you know, just like any other written notice of the charges. But uh, the question that I have that's rolling around in my head is, does that notice need to indicate the severity of the discipline? Does that notice need to say, this is a seven-day suspension. This is a 14-day suspension. This is a uh, notice of removal. And I think the answer is yes, because I think that if you receive a notice of the charges that doesn't have that information in it, that it's not truly a notice of the charges. One, when you go to apply the test of just cause, one of the tests in the JCAM is, was the severity of the discipline related to the infraction itself and in line with what is usually administered. Well, if you don't know the severity of the discipline, how are you going to apply that? It would be impossible. Uh, what you did with the misconduct that you did, um, let's say not wearing your seatbelt, you know, not wearing your seatbelt is a safety infraction. Safety infractions are listed in article 16, seven, but does it warrant uh, 14 days off the clock? For example, does it warrant a removal or does it warrant maybe a one day suspension off the clock? What is the severity of the discipline that, that you're proposing here? I think if it's not in the notice, that the notice is, is faulty. You know, there's no, there's no other way to determine whether it's fair. Think about this. And, and, and I've seen this situation come out before where you have somebody who's issued one of these uh, phony uh, emergency placements. And when I say phony, I don't think the notice uh, supports it. But let's say the notice does specify what the person did, and the notice does say what rule was violated, but it doesn't say the severity of the discipline. If that notice is upheld through the grievance procedure, or if the union doesn't file a grievance because we say, okay, you know, in order to invoke section seven, all you have to do is, you know, show what the misconduct was and that a rule was violated and that it meets one of the tests of, uh, it meets one of the criteria listed in 16.7. If you take that point of view, then if the, if the uh, 16-7 is shown to be justified either through the grievance procedure uh, or through you know, us not filing a grievance on it or saying that, it, that it's justified, that it's sufficient, then what happens? What if the Postal Service doesn't take any action thereafter? You've already determined that the emergency action, the placement in a non, non-pay status is justified. Well, then what do we do? And that's why I think that it's not. I think that the notice, there's only a two-step process. The second step is the written notice of the charges. And the written notice should include the severity of the discipline that's being proposed. So if you place someone, post office places someone on emergency placement, they should follow up with written notice, which includes we're proposing a seven-day suspension without pay. We're proposing a removal or, or whatever, you know, whatever it is. If they don't do that, I think it's uh, I think that 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 emergency action should never be upheld or sustained in the grievance process. 
uh, because I think that's the Postal Service responsibility under the Mittenthal Award when we talk about a true formal notice of the charges. Uh, that's what a notice of the charges looks like. It tells you the, the severity of, what, of the charge. It doesn't just tell you what you did uh, and say, say what rules you violated, but it tells you the severity of the discipline that's being imposed as well. And I think we should hold management to that. Um, now, before I leave you, I will tell you, just, just so you know that, that uh, the NELC is a fair organization and, and uh, we're not overly burdensome on the Postal Service. When the post office has these situations where there's an allegation, and particularly a lot of these situations will involve uh, OIG or the postal inspectors, and the supervisor will be sitting there and they'll say, look, I don't know exactly what happened. There's some type of allegation of something uh, being proffered by uh, Office of Inspector General, and I think that the Postal Service needs to act. Uh, and I say, okay, well, you have, you have four options. Here's, here's your four options. One, you can place the carrier into an admin leave paid status pending the completion of the investigation. You can do that. You can say, I don't trust this person out here working, but I'm going to put them in admin leave status. I'm going to pay them, uh, and I'm going to wait, wait on the outcome. That, that's one. Number two, you can, you can place the person, if it's, a, if it's a possible crime situation, you can utilize 16.6. And 16.6 only has the reasonable cause standard, not the just cause standard. Um, and 16.6, if you have a reasonable cause to believe that they're guilty of a crime, uh, then you have justification under 16.6. Uh, but never under 16.7 is an allegation sufficient or is it sufficient when you say uh, pending further investigation. It's never sufficient under 16.7. Number three, you could immediately, uh, not immediately, I'm sorry, you immediately place the person verbally off the clock and then follow up with a written notice of the charges. And when you give the person the written notice of the charges, you can decide uh, as management, do you want to suspend this person or discharge them based on the information that, that you have at that time. Now, here I want you guys to be aware of some language in the JCAM pages 16.6. Listen to this language. Removal actions subject to the 30-day notification period in Article 16.5 of the National Agreement will be deferred until after the Step B decision has been rendered or 14 days after the appeal is received at Step B, whichever comes first. Except for, here's the part I want you to look at, except for those removals involving allegations of crime, violence, or intoxication, or cases where retaining the employee on duty may result in damage to postal property, loss of funds, uh, mail, or where the employee may be injurious to self or others. And in case you don't know where that language comes from, comma, pursuant to Articles 16.6 and 16.7, when you have a 16.6 or 16.7 situation, you do not have to defer the discipline. You only have to defer it in a 16.4 or 16.5 situation. If the Postal Service wants or thinks that a particular uh, disciplinary action is appropriate or discharge is appropriate, all they have to do is immediately place the carrier in an off-duty status and then follow up with a written notice of the charges, which includes the severity of the discipline. And if that action is for more than 14 days or discharge, they can invoke it immediately. So it's invoked going back to the date that they put you off the clock. 
there no longer is a deferment period. There's only a deferment period for disciplinary actions taken under 16.4 and 16.5. The fourth thing that they can do is they can just have a job discussion with the employee. The employee is hired. The Postal Service has the sole responsibility and burden of hiring whoever the hell they want. And no employee may be disciplined except for a just cause. Not disciplining an employee is the default. So if you don't have enough information to discipline an employee at that time pending further investigation, you can just have a job discussion, remind them what the rules are, and move on with your life. If, if, you're, gonna, if you're going to discipline someone under Section 7, under 16.7, you're going to have to meet the test of just cause and you're going to have to provide them with a true written notice of the charges. Now, I got two takeaways I want to make sure, and I'm going to close up and get the hell out of here. I'm looking at this clock here. I think I've been talking for like an hour. Um, hopefully, it's been, it's been helpful and educational. Uh, the two takeaways are, one, emergency placement, when it's for misconduct, is simply, by definition, discipline without a deferment period. Second thing, the carrier is entitled to a true, written, a true notice of the charges in order to defend themselves. So if you got nothing else out of this uh, session here today, I hope I hope you got that. I'm doing this class actually on May the 16th. We have our regional training. Uh, we got a bunch of classes offered to the people that are coming out, our brothers and sisters. We're really looking forward to it, but I'm actually doing this class. Uh, maybe I'll just take the recording here <laughs> and play it. I'll just hit play and we'll be done, but it's an hour and 45, so... Uh, well, you know, you guys will have questions and that, that would be good. But anyway, um, I was happy to be able to come on the show, uh, the podcast. I really enjoy, uh, as you guys can probably tell, uh, talking about, uh, article 16.7, uh, and anything, any type of insight or anything that's going to help my brothers and sisters out. We do not work at a job where you can just be thrown off the clock, uh, without, without the, 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 protection that's in place uh, in any other disciplinary situation. They got to tell us what we did. They got to tell us, uh, you know, what rules we violated. And then they got to tell us the length or the severity of, of how they plan to suspend us. And they have to support that. Uh, 16-7 is no different than any other disciplinary action in, in that sense. JB, let's get this, uh, let's get this thing going where the podcast can be done with somebody that's not in Nashville. Although it was my pleasure to come down here to the palatial studios over here, Nashville, Tennessee. Corey has been uh, quite the host, uh, even hooking me up with some sweet Tennessee whiskey to take home with me. So I really appreciate that. Uh, it was a joy. I hope you guys enjoyed this, this episode. Uh, I would love to come back on if Corey wants me to. The 2022 convention is going to be in Chicago this year. Really looking forward to it. It's my hometown. Looking forward to seeing everyone. Uh, and uh, as you guys are probably aware, the 2022 convention, we will be setting, uh, one thing we'll be doing is setting our bargaining agenda for 2023. Uh, I would love to come back on the show and discuss some of the things in the contract that we really need to take a look at, some of the things that uh, really need to change to make this job a, a better job and a job that, that people want to come to and, and work at. Uh, and if Corey wants me to come on, I'll do that prior to the convention or talk about whatever it is that, that he wants me to talk about in any way I can be of help. 
uh, you know, Corey knows that I am, I'm at his service and I'm at the service of all of my brothers and sisters of the National Association of Letter Carriers. Uh, thank you guys. Uh, be safe out there. And that's all I have. Have a great day. Bye. All right. All right. What about that? Hey, that's, that's an expert right there, son, that just gave you that. I was in another room and I could hear him. I was like, my man is getting down in there. He is preaching. I, I was getting money out of my wallet because I thought he's going to take up a tithe. I said, my man is getting down in there. I love that. I love that. Hey, educate my people. That's all I care about. I told y'all a long time ago, give me a handful of hell raisers. Give me a handful of hell raisers and we will, we will attack some things. We will battle some things. That's a hell raiser right there y'all just listened to. An expert on 16-7. You ask anybody, anybody, this man's, he's great at everything, but his specialty is 16-7. I hope y'all learned something from that man. Um, I looked it up. It was last August is when he reached out to me about the podcast. I started it last July, I believe, and last August he reached out talking about how he appreciated it. And I had some issues with my 16.7. And so I said, come on down, baby, and let's do it. So he came down. Man, I and I cannot express enough how honored I am that he came down to do this, truly. I mean, the national business agent of Region 3. That is that is something special. I hope you all learned something. I know you did. I know you did because the man got down. <laughs> I could hear him. I was like, preach to him, baby. And so, hey, Mike Harif. I appreciate you more than you know, more than you know. I love you, brother. I do, truly. And I appreciate you, uh, the way that you you look out for your brothers and sisters, the way you do. I appreciate that. So, Mike Cariff, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, there you have it. The expert, 16-7. He took me to task, didn't he? He came down and he did what he said he's going to do. So, I appreciate it. I really do. I learn something all the time. I'm always learning, like I said. Uh, next episode, JB, he's going to talk about uh, DOAS, 3996, PET. Uh, we're going to get into that. So y- y'all pay attention. Get your notepads out, and uh, he's going he's gonna to talk to you about those things and educate you. So the next episode after that, maybe get into the CCAs sticking on Sundays. I don't know. Just saw a question about it. That would be really brief, uh, the way that we can attack that. It's not really a grievance, but there's some ways that we can address it. We'll do that, okay? And then we'll get into some ergonomics and more safety stuff. Uh, y'all keep reaching out to me. Remember, get on uh, from 8arbitration.com, from 8arbitration.com. All the sites that Mike went over just now will be on there, all of them. So uh, the things that he just talked about, those sites are going to be on uh, the website. Y'all get on there and talk to uh, Lindsay on, from Made Arbitration, the Facebook page. Get on there and talk to her. Ask questions. Ask me questions, and we're going to address it, okay? Like I told you, there's a shift. There's a shift going on in this union. I can feel it. It's a movement that I've not felt before. It's a movement. Uh, I'm having people all the time send me victories of cases, Uh, There's a movement going on. We're educating ourselves. We're getting better and more powerful. Knowledge is everything. Okay? Knowledge is everything. Y'all have a fantastic rest of the day. Man, thank you again to Mike Kerr coming down from Chicago. What about that? 
That's special, man. That's special. Thank you again to Mike for coming down and do that. An expert at 16.7. Listen to this one as much as you can. Learn as much as you can. Hey, have a great week. I'll talk to y'all next Sunday uh, with JB. All right? Y'all take care now, and I'll talk to you later.